This is Christopher Benincasa for the Jersey Arts Podcast. The Ballad of Little Joe opens tomorrow, Friday, June 9th, at Two River Theater. It's a musical about a woman on her own, on the frontier of the old American West, disguised as a man named Joe. The musical is based on the 1993 film of the same name, directed by Maggie Greenwald, who based her story on the real-life experiences of a woman named Josephine Monahan. In the story, Josephine becomes Joe to survive in a time and place in which women are openly preyed upon and lynch mobs are a cold fact of life, shunned by her East Coast family when she refuses to deny that she has given birth to an illegitimate child. She heads for the edge of civilization, the Wild West, in late 1800s Idaho, to reinvent herself, make her way in the world, and be reunited with the son she has to leave behind. Along the way, she falls in love with a man who is an outcast Chinese immigrant. I recently spoke to the musical's co-writer and lyricist, Sarah Schlesinger, about creating this production with composer Mike Reed in 2000 at Steppenwolf Theatre Company in Chicago, and collaborating with Two River Theatre's artistic director, John Dias, to bring it to a 2017 audience. Here's a demo version of the first song Schlesinger wrote with composer Mike Reed called Unbuttoning the Buttons. Unbuttoning the buttons Unbuttoning the years Unbuttoning the longings The flood of unwept tears Unbuttoning the buttons I wonder if you'll find Some long-forgotten feelings A fragment left behind Is there any trace of me inside The mask I've learned to wear Underneath these buttons is Josephine still there? There is a moment in the film of, of where the Tin Man Wong, the, the Chinese character, and Josephine are unbuttoning each other's buttons. They have union suits on because it's very cold in Idaho. And there's, uh, there's music and they're just unbuttoning each other's buttons. And so we decided we can write that moment. Right now, the show has 50% different music than what was in Steppenwolf, so, and, and a lot of new story elements, too. But this is one piece that always held on. And this, this song is really about Josephine's, the moment in her life when she's hidden all this time and nobody has ever known that she, who she was. And she's by herself and she's wondering what will happen when she actually attempts to be a woman again. And will she still be there? And the end of the song is that she is. And it's really just about being truly yourself for the first time in a long time. So here we are at Two River Theater. Um, your musical, The Ballad of Little Joe, um, starts previews in just a couple of days. So what's happening on a day like today, and what is going through your mind as you're preparing to unveil a production like this one? Well, today we actually are this evening we're going to have a complete run-through in the theater with the orchestra with all the technical elements in place. 
For the past week, we've been going very slowly through the piece, what we call cue by cue, and fixing each little tiny segment of the piece so that it is this kind of gem of a moment. And now we're going to put all those together for the first time tonight and watch the whole show unfold. I wanted to uh, see if we could start with the true story that inspired the ballad of Little Joe. It is based, or it was inspired by, the life of a woman named Josephine Moynihan. And, and this is real, right? This is real. There, there was such a woman, and she traveled west, specifically to Idaho, and no one knows exactly why. And what she did once she got there, for reasons that no one exactly knows, is to disguise herself as a man. And she lived as a man until she died, and she lived among people who knew her well. And it wasn't until they took her to the morgue that they discovered that she was a woman, because they believed the whole time that she was a man. Now, there is a legend about her that this happened, but there was a real woman. And we found in the Idaho census, and Idaho had a very small population, um, when she died, which was around 1903, that there was on the census the words J. Monahan, doubtful sex, which makes you think that her neighbors did suspect something, but they were just putting up with the way people do now, like who she was, and that's fine. And there's also um, a very important character of Chinese heritage in our piece, and on the plot of land next to her, it just says, Chinese. So there, there are these elements of truth, and that concept of her became part of a film, of that independent film that was made by filmmaker Maggie Greenwald, and that's the story that she based her film on. Stories about, you know, crossing gender thresholds, you know, they seem to be as old as storytelling itself, you know, from ancient myths to Shakespeare to, like, cheesy 80s comedies to right. really tragic movies like Boys Don't Cry. Um, why do you think stories about characters like this have been told through the ages, including now? Well, it's interesting that tr when we wrote the piece, probably there wasn't as much emphasis on transgender and gender identity as there is now. And I think that it's probably been, uh, as long as there have been two genders, there has been gender questioning and the, the idea of do we, do we remain what people declare us when we're born. And I suspect that is just as old as humankind. And I think a lot of the cross-dressing, you know, the, the Shakespeare plays where people are pretending to be the thing they're not, you know, are really deeper than they seem, you know, I mean, they're really very much about gender, not just about the, the disguise element. This story was described in the New York Times, the film was described in the New York Times uh, as a counter-myth to the Wild West. Uh, in this version, the heroes are not cowboys or lawmen, they're a cross-dressed woman and an Asian man uh, who she saves from being lynched by a mob, basically, in the frontier community. Um, do you think Greenwald made the film uh, to temper that romanticism we have for the Wild West, and is that sort of also uh, an attraction for you to sort of um, not complicate things, but maybe give us a more nuanced, you know, idea of what the frontier really was like? I, I'm not sure. I've never really seen it as a feminist Western, although that's how it's described a lot by people who write about film. I mean, I've seen it as a character study of this woman. 
Um, I didn't think that Joe, I thought this story was really a story of, of a person who had been deeply emotionally scarred and who hid from the world for this reason and found peace in one way or another. I mean, and our, our story doesn't end exactly the same way but as Maggie's, but she finds herself and, and through that finds peace. But for us, the real themes of the story, I think, are the idea that when you're not yourself, you really hurt other people who don't ever understand what's going on with you. you know? The film has a pretty unhappy ending. Roger Ebert called it rough and crude. Uh, does the musical stick to that tone? No, it, I think it's, it's important to say that one of the things that happened to me as the person who was originally creating the story was that I couldn't stop thinking about that Chinese man and his hanging there. And, and, this, and the film does nothing to explain the Chinese problem. That was very prevalent at the period that you know the workers had come over here. They were terribly treated. Um, there was a Chinese Exclusion Act which wouldn't let the women come, so they couldn't have families. Um, they, it was just a, a really ugly chapter of American history. So I started exploring that, and, and then I thought, well, this has to become an important part of it. But I also, we created sort of another protagonist, and that's the crowd of people who travel at the same time that she does from Boston to Idaho. And this was the moment when cross-country trains were really available to the public. So you didn't have to go in a covered wagon. You didn't have to be a real pioneer. You had to be a person who could buy a ticket. So the silver rush was going on, which was sort of post-gold rush. And people thought, we'll just go out there and we'll grab some money and come back. You know, it wasn't that easy. But, but she goes out west with a group of people who are there to mine silver. And through the, and the first act happens 18 years before the second act. So there's an 18-year gap. And in this, the second half, the people who've gone out there to mine have become semi-prosperous, and they have an industry that supports them, because the mining companies came in and used machinery. So they're living well, but then everything falls apart. And they're very upset about the Chinese workers who are being hired to work for half pay. Mm -hmm. And this Chinese man wanders into the town, and he's coming to avenge a personal a moment in his personal history, not coming to be involved in working in the mines at all, but they mistake that his citing him means the Chinese are coming. So it's full of these very contemporary themes about, you know, he doesn't have a permit, um, she takes him in to protect him, and then they find they find each other. Now, this story, and, and the true story um, that inspired it, I mean, it's a pretty scary story, really, at, at, at the core of, the, of it. And I think some of the situations that Joe ends up in along the way, um, they must be especially horrifying and, and familiar to women. Um, right. You know, Joe's, Joe's story, she's a woman abandoned by her family, traveling alone in a very dangerous part of the world, disguised as a man, so that men are l less likely to prey upon her. Um, you know... Uh, as a woman, was part of what made this story uh, important to you was this sort of vivid and, and sort of is almost um, it's just such an extreme uh, portrayal of really real vulnerability. You know, she's on the edge the whole time, like her whole right. life, um, and and the violence that sort of swirls around a vulnerable character like that was that was that part of like the power of the story for you? 
I don't think really um, it was. I think, you know, the thing is that it's very important to us that it not, and especially it was to Mike, that she not be a victim. And so there's a lot of, you know, she's just this very feisty person who um, deals, she deals with these things. And, but she continues, there's a lot of joy in the piece, I feel, you know, because she's like, she becomes part of this town. Um, she discovers that she can't go back and reclaim her son, and she has, feels like she has nowhere to be. But she has, while she's been disguising herself to raise the money to go back, suddenly she is part of something. Um, I, don't, I don't tend to really be a feminist or not a feminist. I tend to want to write about uh, the human condition, I guess I would say. And I mean, given that you know, this lead character, Joe, um, is such a complex character, um, obviously pretty tough for anyone to pull off, was um, casting this lead role uh, a tougher-than-usual process? Over time it has been, but this time I, I feel very strongly that everything about this piece, this production is charmed, and we've been so lucky in so many ways. And, and one of the first people that we saw was Teal Wicks, who's playing the part, and she's just remarkable. She, because what really matters is the spirit of Joe. You know, it's the thing is that, that with, when you watch a Shakespeare play where someone's pretending to be a man, what you really have to believe is that the people on stage believe. The audience doesn't have to believe that that's a man. They know it's not a man, you know, but, but they have to believe that people on stage could. And she just, there's, she is this uh, absolutely odd, beautiful little person when she's the, man, the guy. She just is this person that you know that you would like, you know, somebody that would be in school with you or that you would live in the town with, you wouldn't completely get, but they're just kind of great to be around, yeah. you know, and she is just, I mean, I think people will be knocked out by her, she's just remarkable. I mean, it sounds like people are, are in for a really great experience at the theater. Um, what, what do you hope they'll, they'll take away from it more than anything? I think the, the realization that it's never too late to come to terms with yourself and, and to never stop there's, there's a beautiful letter that Joe writes to, to leaves behind for her son at the end in which she says, you know, never stop believing in yourself. And I think that's really the, the message for us. Musical theater writer and lyricist Sarah Schlesinger. Her musical, The Ballad of Little Joe, opens tomorrow night, Friday, June 9th, at Two River Theater in Red Bank and runs through June 25th. For tickets, go to tworivertheater.org. And for more information about the arts in New Jersey, go to jerseyarts.com. I'm Christopher Benincasa. Thanks for listening.
The Jersey Arts Podcast is made possible by the New Jersey State Council on the Arts, supporting excellence and engagement in the arts since 1966.